This is The Big Question, where we do our best to answer questions from young disciples at Grace Presbyterian Church and to be at peace with the mysteries that we can't explain. I'm Pastor Mark, your host, and in this episode, we have questions from Joanna, Tim, Caleb F., Levi, and an unsigned chronicler. First, we'll tackle a few serious questions. Then we'll look at this episode's big question, and we'll wrap things up at the end with a few fun questions. Let's start with our serious questions. Our first question comes from Joanna, who asks, Who wrote the Westminster Confession of Faith? Joanna, the confession was written by a group of men, not a single person. That group was assembled by the English Parliament to reform the Church of England, and it consisted of pastors and professors and scholars with a variety of backgrounds and beliefs. They met at Westminster, so we call them the Westminster Assembly. In the old days, they used to call people who studied the subject of divinity divines, so you'll sometimes hear us call them the Westminster Divines. Now, to create the Confession of Faith, these divines started with the Church's existing confession, the 39 Articles, and also looked at earlier revisions, especially one called the Irish Articles. They debated extensively and updated the wording as best they could to reflect the teachings of Scripture. The beauty of the Westminster Confession is that it was written in the 1640s, after more than a century of Reformation-era confession-making. That means the Westminster benefits from all the work that went before, and it gives us a good summary of the essentials of biblical doctrine. And now Tim asks, If somebody goes to hell and says they're sorry and repents for their sins and becomes a believer, do they go to heaven or do they stay in hell? Well, Tim, this is an interesting hypothetical question, but as far as I can see in Scripture, this is a scenario that will never happen in real life. In other words, no one in hell will repent of their sins and become a believer. Hell is judgment for a life of unrepentant sin. And the whole question of repentance and faith is for this life. God urges all people everywhere to turn from their sins and have faith in Jesus now, because after death comes judgment. We're going to talk more about judgment in this episode, so I'm not going to say too much about that for now. But for here, the point is, we should repent of our sins now and turn to Jesus now. We should never presume that there will be some other opportunity after we're dead. Now is the time. Once God's final judgment has occurred, there is no going back. And now it's time for the big question. Our big question this week comes from Caleb F. Let's give him a round of applause. Here's Caleb's question. How will God judge people for their careless words? Now, this question is inspired by our study of Matthew's gospel. In Matthew 12, verse 36, Jesus warns us that on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. For by your words you will be justified, Jesus says, and by your words you will be condemned. Now, what does he mean by this? 
How will God judge us? How does that judgment apply to our careless words? To answer all these questions, I want to try to take it step by step. First, let's think about the question of judgment in general, and after that, we'll apply what we come up with to the judgment of our careless words and what that means. But first, keep this in mind. One of the ways the Bible pictures God for us is comparing him to a judge. In the same way that we can learn about God's power by thinking of him as a king, we can learn about his justice by thinking of him as a judge. Now, in human terms, a judge applies the law to the actions of the accused. When someone is accused of a crime, the judge determines what it is that that person actually did and then measures those actions against the standard of the law. If the person didn't do what he's accused of, or if he did it but it's not actually a violation of the law, then the person is judged to be innocent. On the other hand, if the judge decides you did what you're accused of doing and that those actions violate the law, then the verdict he renders is guilty. Human justice is only as good as the judges who do the work. If they make a mistake in evaluating the true actions of the accused, or they apply the law incorrectly, then injustice results. But when we consider God as a judge, there can be no injustice. God knows exactly what we've done because he is all-knowing. And he knows exactly what the law says because the law is an expression of God's character. To put it simply, God wrote the law. When Jesus warns us that God's judgment is coming, that's both good news and bad news. It's good in the sense that his judgment is perfect. That means there will be true justice at long last. Every evil will be punished and every good rewarded. But if you think about it, that could also be bad news if you're guilty. Based on what you've done, Jesus says, you will either be justified, which means found innocent, or you will be condemned, found guilty. If you've sinned, you will be condemned. If you have no sin, you'll be justified. Now, obviously, the question that you have to ask yourself right now is, have I sinned? If the answer is yes, then Jesus says you'll be condemned. And that's why a lot of people try to convince themselves that they haven't sinned, or at least that their sin is not very serious. Now, it's kind of hard to tell yourself that you haven't sinned at all. Right? We all know that we're not perfect, so clearly we have sinned. But we tell ourselves maybe God only cares about the really bad sins, the super serious offenses. That's the argument. But does it add up? Well, no. When Jesus says we'll be judged, even for our careless words, he's showing just how small a sin can be and still be judged. This, I think, is the significance of Jesus saying that even our careless words will be judged. He's making sure we don't think that we'll get away with the little sins and that only the really bad stuff matters. That's how God will judge our careless words, with perfect justice. If there's not even a tiny little blot on our record, then we will be justified. But if there is, no matter how small, we will be condemned. So it sounds like this is very bad news indeed, because none of us are righteous. And if we're judged on our righteousness, we're going to fall short. We can't escape by minimizing the seriousness of our sin, because it's God's view of sin that matters, not ours. The question is, 
if we can't escape condemnation by denying our sin, and we can't escape condemnation by minimizing the importance of our sin, then is there any way to escape? The good news is, yes, there is. If we confess our sin, if we admit that we've fallen short and have no hope in our own righteousness and have faith in Jesus for salvation, then Jesus takes us under his wing. He covers us with his righteousness and he represents us before the throne of judgment. Basically, instead of being judged on what you've done, if you're with Jesus, then you're judged on what he's done instead. And his record is perfect. He has committed no sin. So if your faith is in Jesus, you will not only be found innocent of sin, but you'll be rewarded with him for his righteousness. Now, what this means is that the question of judgment is very serious, but it's not something for us to fear. Instead, we should turn to Jesus and put our faith in him so that we can face God's justice with confidence. Before we close, let's look at a few fun questions. First, Levi asks, what is the biggest museum that you've been to? Levi, there are three museums that made a huge impression on me. The British Museum, the Royal Armories, and the Wallace Collection. I'm not technically sure which of them is the biggest in terms of square footage, but the British Museum is the biggest in terms of what's there. My jaw dropped the first time I walked inside that museum because there were so many artifacts from the ancient world on display. I saw the Rosetta Stone, these huge relief sculptures from ancient Assyria, and a reconstructed Greek temple. It was incredible. The Royal Armories, though, that was also impressive because it was full of armor and swords and other weapons, so I really enjoyed that a lot. But actually, the Wallace collection of the three was the smallest, and yet it made the biggest impression on me in one particular way, because it was at the Wallace collection that the curator opened up the exhibit cases after hours, gave us white gloves to wear, and let me hold an ancient Viking sword that was more than a thousand years old. Last year, I visited the Museum of the Bible, And that's the best museum I've ever spent the night in. Next time I go, I'm hoping to get a chance to examine some medieval manuscripts up close and maybe even hold a Bible older than that Viking sword. We'll see what happens. And now our unsigned chronicler asks, what would you do if there was an alligator in the room? This is such a great question and such a great reminder how important it is when you write your questions in the Youth Chronicle at the church to be sure to put your name on the paper. When you ask great questions like this, you want to get credit for it. The answer is actually pretty simple. If there was an alligator in the room, I would eat it. When I was a schoolboy in Louisiana, one of the students brought some fried alligator to class for show and tell, and it was quite a delicacy. Now, since I moved to South Dakota, I don't eat alligator very often, but I was down south late last year for a couple of days and managed to stop by a restaurant that was serving alligator. It was every bit as good as I remember. In fact, just talking about it makes me wish that there was an alligator in the room right now. That's all for now. Thanks for listening to The Big Question. Remember, if we're going to find the answers, then we have to ask the questions. 
Never be afraid to ask, and never be satisfied with easy answers. The truth will stand up to scrutiny. Until next time, keep asking the big questions.